Joined today by my co-hosts, uh, Joe Doyle, staff writer for Lookout Landing, as well as Kate Prucer, managing editor of Lookout Landing. Kate, Joe, how are you guys doing today? Hello. Hello, hello, and welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, we are going to be wrapping up our top prospects list. I can't believe uh, it's over. I mean, I can I, because it's been like two months. But. <laughs> we, we, we've, we've taken our time. We've, we've luxuriated in a, in a farm system far more uh, full of people uh, and talented players worth uh, digging deep into than it has been in years past, which has felt pretty dang good. Yeah, that it has really been fun to like be struggling to rank guys and not because it's hard to (laughs) figure out which of these like you know c-level prospects should take the a spot in the top 10 but like really having interesting discussions about uh ceilings and and best case scenarios and some pretty exciting stuff it's been it's been cool to have meaningful conversations for guys 11 through 20. I mean, that's a group of guys that might actually make an impact, which is fun. Yeah, it's uh, it's been pretty pretty nice, pretty pretty uh, sort of a luxury that has not been there in years past. But this week we are going to leap right into the top five. Uh, speaking of luxury, essentially, uh, you know where where all of this. Uh, work and all of these uh, sort of exciting players come to a head uh, with five guys who probably most Mariners fans know by name at least if not uh, some level of detail even if you're not a you know a prospect uh, sort of heavy enthusiast no no sort of George Felice on this list Uh, it's a lot of a lot of folks that uh, you know you you will have heard their names um and let's just start with number five, number four, and number three. We've got at number five, right-handed pitcher George Kirby, uh, the first-round pick in the 2019 draft. Uh, number four, first baseman Evan White, uh, first-round pick of the 2017 draft. Uh, and number three, right-handed pitcher Logan Gilbert, first-round pick in the 2018 draft. Um you know, sensing a theme here. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it, you know, there are lots of great sort of unexpected players who come out of not necessarily nowhere, sometimes nowhere, but certainly come out of unexpected places to be uh, good pros. But there's a reason the players taken at the top of the draft are, you know, are the most, commonly the most exciting, you know, and, and these three have really shown that in pro ball so far Absolutely. Um, yeah i i uh i think you know all three of these guys were taken in that you know right in that range where you don't know what you're gonna get it's not gonna yeah, be it's a, all, all in the teens right? all in the yeah, teens was, yeah. yeah and all of them you know had question marks when they were selected gilbert with the drop in velo at the cape mm-hmm. and you know evan white didn't ever hit for power and george kirby who just didn't you know didn't have too much of a shine he was polished but you know what's his ceiling and i think 
we small can small school. I think the small big school. knock on him was small school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But all of them have kind of you know come into their own. It's still early for Kirby, but all of them have kind of come into their own and proven to be pretty valuable prospects of their own right. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at Kirby. I'm looking at who is ostensibly in the same place Logan Gilbert was last year, although he actually did some pitching, so we have some kind of a track record for him. To, um, to compensate for not getting to play baseball now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah. As opposed to Logan Gilbert, who didn't play at all um, mm-hmm. due to some surgery, some sickness, um, and just general rest and how they mm-hmm. like to slow play a college pitcher who's had a heavy workload. Um I was wondering, do you think that Logan Gilbert, who I'm pretty sure was lower or less well-regarded than Kirby at this time last year, like that, that feels true to me and it could be just me rewriting history. Um, But I wonder how much Logan Gilbert and the way that he came out and dominated this year and moved through multiple levels and showed like, not only that he was a good draft choice but also the Mariners had a good development plan in place for him um I wonder if that has helped Kirby kind of be in higher standing in the prospect community although with a similarly small track record that's a good question um just so are you more or less suggesting that because the Mariners as an organization have proven to be successful in developing prospects as a whole, more specifically on the pitching side, that Kirby's small sample size at Everett uh, has more legitimacy than it would have otherwise? Is that kind of what you're alluding to? Yeah, I, I guess I'm thinking like kind of like Noel V. Marte. I think it's easy for them to it's easy to look and see like, oh, he's on the same path Julio was on. And so that you can draw some comparisons there. It's easy to look at George Kirby and say, oh, that's the Logan Gilbert path. And these two are very similar pitchers in a lot of ways. Although Kirby, I think, came out of a smaller school and maybe doesn't have quite the stuff that uh, Gilbert has, but also had more of an opportunity to show it. Um yeah, I just feel like he might, I feel like he's getting more attention or recognition because it's easy to cast him in that mold and see that, okay, this pitcher who's very similar to him was was successful in this system. It's very likely that this similar pitcher will also be successful. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely something to that. And, you know, Kirby is, he's he's a high floor guy in and of his own right. So when you have the command that that Kirby has, you know there's there's a better chance that you're going to be able to get to the big league level and you know succeed at whatever ability you can. I think I'm really happy that the industry is giving Kirby um, the due that I think guys with higher floors deserve because you know he was what was what was he the seventeenth pick. 18th pick something like that uh, I think it was 18 yeah yeah so I can guarantee there's not 17 or 16 guys from last year's draft class ahead of him in uh, in the top 100 rankings I'd say he's you know there's probably nine guys that are ahead of him so it's mm-hmm. nice to see someone that while he showed that he can throw 
you know, 96, 97 with a good curveball and a good changeup. It's it's just nice to see guys that are kind of labeled as high floor, high success rate pitchers getting their due on top 100 lists because a lot of times those guys go, you know, without mention because they don't have um, the number one ceiling or the number two ceiling. So, um, yeah. Um, so going off of that, sort of high floor, um, sort of uncertain ceiling uh, type of designation uh, between Kirby and Gilbert, who I think it is a reasonable comparison to draw, oh, these are two very similar types of pitchers. You know, obviously there's distinctions in in what their better out pitches are and whatnot, but, you know, they, their profiles are reasonably um, overlapping. Uh who I guess who do you think has the we obviously have Gilbert ahead of Kirby um and part of that is he's one year ahead he's one you know he's several levels higher and has had success the entire way up uh do you guys have a a strong sense of which of either Kirby or Gilbert uh could actually sort of be that ace or not not ace in the sense of like you know Justin Verlander or, you know, necessarily like the best pitcher in baseball, but, but like what would, what would commonly be referred to as a number two kind of starter, um, you know, sort of that top 15 kind of pitcher that throws 200 innings, you know, and, and consistently is well above average. For me, I think, well, I think Gilbert has the potential to be a true number one. Uh, I think he could be a top 15 pitcher. I think he could have that ace label. And a lot of that stems from the fact that he's got the stuff already and that stuff mm. is really starting to come into its own. He also has the deception that allows the ball to just blow up in the zone and you know he can spike a curveball. And the changeup is really good. He's throwing a slider a lot this, uh, this spring. And all of the pitches that he throws are above average at this point so um for me i think gilbert has the edge now that being said we need to see more of george kirby uh to make that designation because everyone's talking about the fact oh you know he's you know he's built how you want him he's big and tall and he's got clean mechanics and he throws 97 but at uh you know in college Kirby wasn't throwing 97. He was 93 to 95. He threw a good changeup. Um, it is exciting that he was throwing his curveball in uh, in Everett last year for first pitch strikes over and over and over. I mean, that's that's an advanced backwards pitch ability that can make you move up the system really, really quickly like Gilbert did last year. So I don't think Kirby has the stuff that Gilbert has, but I do think... Um, I, I should say I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what he looks like over the course of like 80 innings because um, that that way we'll get a much better idea of how his stuff works in longer longer outings and against better competition. Yeah, I think just currently I am so much more familiar with Gilbert's uh, repertoire just because I've been watching him for pretty intently this year and mm -hmm. analyzing the pitches and looking at what he throws and looking at his sequencing and talking to him and learning about how he thinks as a pitcher and 
I just I have a super high opinion of him because I think he's got a great combination of stuff and um, I love his mentality on the mound. He's very nice. He's a very, very nice person. Uh, and on the mound, he is just a totally different person. He is absolutely a competitor. He wants to get guys out. He uses all his available weapons. I mean, he knows he's not like the hardest thrower out there. Like he's not out there blistering triple digit fastballs, but what he has, which I think is in large part his intelligence and his knowledge of pitching and his, his um, work ethic, his, his study of his craft, his dedication to getting better. He brings all of that to bear in every pitch. So it's hard for me right now to put anyone ahead of him. I'm very high on Logan Gilbert. Um, and obviously the brief taste that we got to see when he just mowed down the angels was fantastic this spring, right? What, what an exciting outing that was. What a, what a statement. Um, but I'm really feeling robbed right now of the opportunity to do the same with George Kirby. Like that was going to be my project this year was to just mm -hmm. really dive into Kirby try to do kind of the same thing with tracking his development that I did with Gilbert last year. And that was going to be my research project this year. And I'm really, <laughs> really sad not to be doing it right now, but Absolutely. I feel like I can't, I can't put a, I need to know more about who George Kirby is as a person, as uh -huh. a pitcher, um, what his stuff looks like just objectively and how he thinks about that. Because I think with pitching more than any other position on the field, it's so much mental. It's so much about, like, can you keep a cool head when you get into trouble? Can you not panic? Can you execute? Uh, can you have the that ice water veins moment, you know? Um, and I think that that's something that I've seen Gilbert demonstrate. I've watched him get himself out of trouble. And I just I don't have that familiarity with Kirby yet. The uh, just kind of building off of your profile of Gilbert, the coaches that I've talked to about uh, George Kirby and kind of as a segue, Brandon Williamson, um, from what I've been told, George Kirby is, he is just stone cold. He's a uh, blank slate, like totally non-emotional. There are no highs. There are no lows. He just, <laughs> he is just, a guy on a mission and he goes out there and he throws his pitches he he's throws his innings and he's yeah i mean he's a bulldog on the mound but you try to get him to elicit any emotion off the mound or in interviews and there, it's just not there he's it's our kinda... upstate new york terminator yeah well I, he's yeah so and i think gilbert there's a little bit of that as well but uh i think gilbert's got just a little bit more of a fiery side uh on the mound as far as uh, you know, owning owning the situation than Kirby does. But that being said, like you said, we, we don't really know anything about Kirby. Um, and the one kind of Brandon Williamson thing that I wanted to throw in there was uh, apparently Williamson is just like the biggest class clown of the entire organization. <laughs> he's a jokester. He's a prankster. He's always messing around with, uh, you know, with teammates and trying to get under their skin in a good way. Uh, so, Kind of a kind of a fun, you know, contrast uh, differentiation there. Two. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. Because I yeah. think that can work too. If you, I think on the mound, you either have to take yourself like pretty deadly seriously, or just 
really be able to make light of the situation and shake it off pitch to pitch. And, um, you know, different things work for different guys. And I think that that's one exciting thing that we've seen this development staff do is the emphasis on be yourself. Like there is no one pitcher. We're not going to try to impress like the Cardinals way on you. There is no one way to be as a player here. We want you to be yourself. And so getting to see these guys like develop their personalities and, uh, you know, as we're seeing kind of with, uh, Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn, like we're, we're starting to see little flashes of who they are and, you know, Dunn's letting that swagger out a little, like he's, he's kind of being himself on the mound. So I'm really excited to see this next crew do that. And I wouldn't be surprised if we were talking about Brandon Williamson. And I mean, I'm expecting to be talking about Brandon Williamson in the same breath in which we're talking about Logan Gilbert and George Kirby next year, just to be clear. I think that's a, it's a, and it's, it's an exciting group. Um, and that's, it's particularly important considering the Mariners have a few very exciting position players, uh, who two of whom obviously top this list, uh, but they really will need uh, pitching to come internally. And, yeah, John, uh, can we talk about that, that a little? Because I know that that is something that when we look at the rebuild, I feel hopeful and optimistic about it. I do worry mm. about a lack of depth in position play players but i feel like it's compensated for pretty well with with pitching i know that that makes you nervous can you speak a little to that it does i i feel very similar to you like i it, it it's sort of the you know you hold two thoughts in the head right it's i think that things are going pretty dang well for the rebuild i think that the player dev stuff they're doing is fabulous they've been showing a lot of promise with their development of pitchers in particular. And I think that there's a lot of young talent at the big league level or nearly approaching it that is very promising for the future. But because of the way that pitching prospects and pitchers in general are just naturally so much less um, or so much more prone to injury it really worries me when teams design their rebuilds around it. It's why I am very wary of the uh, Tigers rebuild mm. right now, which is full of incredibly talented players. You know, Matt Manning, Casey Mize. Uh, you know, I mean, these are uh, – what's his face? Who? Um, Scooball? No, wait. Uh, yeah, it was Scooball, but um, yeah. the, the guy from Florida also who they have. Um, Fado. Yes, thank you, Alex. Yeah, you know, like these are legitimately talented pitchers who could make an exceptional rotation. I mean, but, that is a crazy load of talent right yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. But they are so thin on position players um, that all it takes is one or two of those guys getting hurt. Casey Mize has already had a lot of injuries that and, and has injury concerns that make you think like... Uh, is he going to be the top 10 talent that he has looked like when he's healthy? Or is he going to be a guy who struggles to be on the field consistently? And yeah. it's so much easier for a position player to, maybe they don't pan out as a star, but they're still able to play, right. you know, 140, 150 games a year and, and be, you know, more than the absence of a player. Um, I, I, I like that the Mariners have 
young guys at pretty much every position now. I would love to see them really leaning into position players, you know, and and especially having gone so heavy on pitching last draft, they I I really worry about if some of these guys don't pan out or some of these guys get hurt, um, you know, that they're going to have to put a ton of money into their rotation, which is, you know, fine. But again, it's like signing older pitchers isn't exactly all that, you know, all that uh, sort of confidence inspiring either. So, um, yeah, so I, I think the, the best organizations that you look at, the most successful organizations in the league right now are ones that have developed position players, stars. Um, you know, the Cubs did that. You know, the Astros did that. The Dodgers also obviously done that. I mean, like the Braves have done that. The Blue Jays, hopefully for them, are, you know, have got some very promising indications that they're doing that. The White um, Sox. Yeah, the Whites, exactly, you know. And the so Royals, like, I mean, the Royals built their entire thing from the ground up. Yeah, um, yeah, and so, no, I mean, you know, it's not like the Mets have been a failure, exactly, but like, <laughs> you know, well, like, it, it, I will, it's very fun to, to rag on the Mets, and deserve it in many cases, but it's like, they had one of the most incredible collections of pitching talent in decades, and all of them have had TJ. Several of them have burned out. Like, it, you know, and it's not like that means that those were failures of players, but it's just so much more likely that, unlikely that all that talent lines up at the same time. As Whereas if you go heavy on position players, you're going to have more. It, it's a better bet that you'll have more bites at the apple when those guys are in their theoretical prime is is my mindset for that so i i worry about the lack of depth there it just makes you wish seattle found a way to lose a couple more games for austin martin just a couple (laughs) more games just one there one there but still zach veen baby yeah baby um so speaking of position players who who they will have at least uh in in the lineup whenever the season starts or whenever the next season starts who knows um evan white has been was was somewhat unexciting when we uh <laughs> when we drafted him i i think we've referenced this before but um when when he's his name was called there was like a little sort of collective sigh from you and me kate and and <laughs> ethan novak who's our prospects writer at the time and the like excitement that rose up back again when sam carlson was drafted the you know the next round it was like you know that's that's what the draft is all about is like oh this you know <laughs> it, it's the it's the you know you have a car or what's behind this door it could be anything <laughs> even a car um you know like that's that's sort of the nature of prospects evan white not that exciting high floor sort of a similar thing to kirby and gilbert all three of these guys please, now please i think i was le- i was unenthused about evan white in a lot of ways but the thing that unenthused me the most was that he was a first <laughs> baseman yeah. I was like, really? No, that's fair. Not even an outfielder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That- I mean, what I what I remember most from that 
2017 draft is it feels like every player that I really wanted to fall, it was just like bang, 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 13, 14, 15, 16. And if I remember correctly, it was between Evan White and like Alex Fiedo. Or maybe David, David Peterson. Peterson. It yeah, was that's David right. Peterson who David Peterson. Everyone was... had mocked to us, and I mm-hmm. was fully prepared to just throw my arm. You know, I love a left-handed. But you know, I love a tall lefty. <laughs> uh, well, and the pitching depth in the system was abysmal at the time. At the time. Certainly, it was yes, not a... absolutely. And I was just so sure that that was the direction. I had my welcome David Peterson banner <laughs> all ready to unfurl, mm. and yeah. Um, so you, like you said earlier, Joe, like high floors are not always that exciting, but they are also like high floor players uh, more often than not turn into big leaguers and high floor player, you know, high floor guys very easily because they're already healthy because they're you know, playing consistently because they're going to keep getting opportunities. They sometimes figure out another gear, you know? So, and that's kind of what we've seen throughout the minors, at least from white is okay. Well, he's a glove first, first baseman, you know, and, and he he'll have a good batting average. Okay. So he hits the ball really hard. Okay. Well now he's hitting some line drives. Is he going to strike out too much? Okay. Well now he's, you know, hitting the ball hard enough to get him out of Dickie Stevens and the team as a right-hander. Is, yeah, exactly. As a righty. Like, I think um, the industry is, is, and Kate will 100% back this. The industry is so, so quiet on Evan white. Like people are not giving enough attention to what he did in not, Arkansas last year. Not at mm-hmm. all. I mean, I've got it pulled up here. He, he hit, uh, two ninety three which is fantastic in and of itself. He slugged almost 500 at 488, uh, 132 weighted one uh, runs created plus with 18 home runs. And that that's insane right-handed at Dickie Stevens. And if we're just, I mean, it's easy to dream on a prospect, but those numbers over 155 games at the big league level, that's, that's a 25 home run first baseman. Like if yeah. he if he hits the pitches that he's supposed to hit, which is more difficult at the big league level, but over the course of six hundred at bats, like he did that in four hundred at bats. If you get six hundred and fifty at bats, you're gonna hit twenty five home runs. And I've just I, I'm I'm really really high on Evan White, and I think he's gonna be. He might not ever be a superstar, but I think he's gonna be a really really good first baseman for the Mariners for a long long time. Yeah, I, I think that's that's where it's come around to is like if he is just like an average or above average player, like what like that is such a win, not just developmentally, but like after getting essentially goose eggs and goose eggs and goose <laughs> eggs from from development and from specifically first base, first base. yeah like, you know the idea that you know it, it it could not work out it could he could struggle too much with big league pitching and that would be disappointing he has done everything thus far to make it seem like he should be all right and, and he's he's had some of the loudest exit velocities in this i mean he had the 
hardest hit ball at the Futures game last mm-hmm. year. Yeah. In uh, playing with, you know, the top prospects in the game and off of a power pitcher, I think it was Mackenzie Gore that he hit that rocket off of, which got caught because unfortunately sometimes baseball is mean. But <laughs> if it had dropped, if that had been like a laser double, I think that Evan White would be getting a lot more attention than he was. Mm. Like that that one thing, if that had broken right for him, would which honestly i don't think evan white cares about being a superstar he's super humble i think he's the kind of guy that like doesn't even want that really he just wants to go out and do the best he can and um kind of be quietly excellent i see like a almost like an edgar like thing where he could be overshadowed by some of his teammates but when we look back at his career we like oh wow evan white was really good that's certainly the hope. I, you know, I think the, it, the very nice thing about this group is it's not just like, hey, this person could be a central, you know, piece if, if things keep working. It's like, this is what it's supposed to be. And especially with White and Gilbert, um, most likely with Kirby because he's, because of his profile, but especially with White and Gilbert, like, they're going to play it for the Mariners probably this year or, you know, whenever the next season of Mariners, you know, of baseball happens. Like, they're going to be on the Seattle Mariners in the big leagues. You're going to watch them, and you're going to see Evan White play for the Mariners for a very long time. Like, you know, so... They signed him to a contract. Like, whether years, he's good or nine, not, we're going to see... Years. Yeah, like, yeah. We're going to see him. Yeah. yeah, it's not, will this guy be a major leaguer? It's... When and for what? how long. Exactly. Um, but there's one more thing I want to say about Evan yeah, White that I think gets missed because he is quiet. He doesn't have a huge social media presence. Uh, he is, from all outside appearances, very boring. Um, <laughs> he is actually sneakily very funny. Um, and he's very funny at, like, giving Kyle Lewis shit pretty regularly. Uh, I think that's a particularly interesting pairing but if you look at that group that was in arkansas dunn sheffield white lewis zamorelli uh jordan cowan all those guys uh, warren um all those guys just really loved each other and they are a core and like not all those guys are going to be big leaguers like we have questions about our warren's ability to stay healthy as control zamorelli is looking like he profile like he might be a triple A guy, but they're all a group that believes that they are the next coming of the Mariners. They're very tight. They hang out together all the time. Oh, Fraley's in that group too. They were all together in Arizona. They hung out for a long, some of them are still there together in quarantine. Um, and really the heart of that all is Evan White because he is more advanced because he's been in the system longer because he got married and he has a house and they all hang out at his house. Like he's just a little bit ahead of the curve. And he, I think is such a centering force that he is the rock of that. You know, he might not be the name that gets the most attention. He might not be the furthest along like Sheffield or Dunn um, who've already been in the majors, but he is, I think very much like 
the central piece of that. He's the one who was drafted as a mariner. He carries a lot of like the organizational values. And I think that if you asked any of those guys, they would all say that Evan White is the the center of that group. Well, I mean, you look at how everyone reacted to Evan getting his extension. Yes. Big big leaguers and minor leaguers, when people get paid, when people get signed, when people make their money, how often do you see like a sweeping campaign on every social media single, of every, every single, single person congratulated Evan. There was nobody yeah. that was left out. So Including that really speaks to the players from opposing kick. teams. Like yeah. players he has played with, like Colin Thoreau, who is with the A's, who's friendly with some of the guys in our organization, thrilled for him. Yeah, it seems like Evan is just a he's a really easy guy to get along with and uh he definitely seems like he represents an anchor in a uh in a clubhouse. One other thing that I wanted to add on Evan and this is a drum that I've been beating for like the better part of a decade. Uh the the Mariners haven't been able to sign or develop or you know acquire any first baseman that can accrue one war, <laughs> like 1.0 war. Like that's like 18 people a year get one war and it's been like 12 years since the Mariners have done it since like I believe Olerud. Austin Nola did it last year did Austin he not? yeah but he was a, he's a catcher <laughs> and yeah, also also Encarnacion did it too but he was only here for like two yeah. months and so there are those two little outliers I um I don't think it's too much to ask for one war from your first baseman back no. years. Well, right? so that's why I went back and I looked at some uh, profiles over the last like seven or eight years that might might be akin to what Evan White's production might look like. And two of them really stood out. Um, in 2013, Eric Hosmer with the Royals, had, he hit 302, 353, 448. He stole 11 bags, and he hit 17 home runs while playing an above-average first base. Uh, that's 3.1 war. Now, his defense has completely fallen off a cliff, and so is his bat. But that's 3.1 war from Hosmer. I think 11 stolen bases and 17 home runs, not a 301 average, but I think those are two numbers that I could definitely see uh, Evan White posting. And then the other one, and you have to keep in mind, if he is playing a plus-plus defense at first base, that's going to give him major points, yeah. at least in the fan graphs um, way of thinking. And then the other one here, if I can pull it up, was one I didn't expect. It was Carlos Santana from 2015. I know he was a catcher for a lot of his career, but they have him labeled as a first baseman in 2015 with the Indians. He hit 231, 357, 395, so not quite as good. Uh, 11 stolen bases and 19 home runs uh, with extraordinary walk and uh, strikeout rates. But that was 2.1 war. So, and he was never an extraordinarily gifted defensive first baseman either. So I think that kind of lays a groundwork for what Evan is capable of with his athleticism on the bases, his glove at first base, and, you know, that, that 17 to 22 home run power. Um, I, I hope that we're looking uh, in 2022 to 2026 as a guy that is, you know, two and a half to three and a half war just every single year, churning it out and just, like like I said earlier, just being an anchor in the clubhouse, someone you, you can rely on. Kind of like a, a Marco Gonzalez of, of the offense in a, yes. in a way. The yeah, one I, thing that I'm worried about with him is, because we were talking about, like, 
how many plate appearances he would get. The one red flag with him for me is the hamstrings, yes. the injuries, the lower body injuries. Definitely. Because that has been, and I feel like it it wouldn't be responsible to not mention that 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 has been a concern. Yeah, and that's been like most of his career, unfortunately. Yeah. Like he, I he really that hope that he college. is spending in, this off time uh working on that lower half doing whatever it takes to yeah, build up some bananas. flexibility there yeah it's a question that none of us ever have to answer if you can do the splits do you do the splits yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh okay well let's uh let's move on to our to our big two up at the top um We've got number two outfielder Julio Rodriguez and number one outfielder Jared Kelnick. Uh, so we obviously, I think there's, I don't think there's anywhere that has a different two players at the top of uh, the, any, any Mariners list they would make. Um, both these guys, I think, were top 20 prospects universally around pretty much every major list that I saw. Um, and a few lists, they were both top 10 prospects even. Um, we talked about this a fair bit. How how did we end up with Jared slightly ahead of Julio? Kate, what, what made the difference there for you? Uh, the difference is... That while I think Julio has a higher ceiling, Jared had more opportunities to show what he did this year, mostly because he didn't have a broken hand. Yeah. Um, so he was able to progress pretty quickly through levels and just, and I was able to watch, you know, watch him absolutely outclass the competition at um, West Virginia in the South Atlantic League. Uh-huh. Watched him struggle with being frustrated that he wasn't getting pitches to hit. Um, watched him kind of learn to back off and not swing because he wasn't, and just take walk after walk after walk. Watched him go to Modesto. Watched him succeed there initially, and then have a little bit of injury trouble, and then have real trouble hitting breaking balls like quality breaking stuff. Watched him get frustrated. Watched him get better. Watched him go to double A, watched him cope with higher velocities, watched him cope with much better pitchers, older pitchers. Like there were times where he was being pitched to by a guy who was literally a decade older than him. Um, So just from watching that and watching him struggle, succeed, develop, I I had to put him higher. Um, I saw a lot of the same things from Julio. I saw him make adjustments, uh, especially at Modesto. I thought that was really impressive when, again, being pitched to by guys who are, like, almost a decade older than him. Um, but it was, well, maybe more like five years at Modesto. Anyway, um, it was a similar path, and it was similarly exciting, but unfortunately it was uh, attenuated because of the injury. So got to give it to Jared for, for this. Fair enough. Joe? I had Jared above Julio as well, and my reasoning is, like I said with Kirby, I really appreciate a high floor, and I think uh, Jared, like Kate said, is a little bit ahead of Julio mm. in the fact that he he has a tried-and-true 
polished bat. He hits for some power. But also, for me, like, real value on the baseball field, in modern baseball especially, is just being able to do everything, being able to approach that five-tool moniker. And Jared does that. I mean, he plays a good center field. He's got a good arm. He can Mm -hmm. steal a base. He can hit a homer. And to me, that's the sort of thing that's invaluable because when you're coming up and you slump, you have to find other ways to contribute. And I think that's something that Jared is not going to struggle with. And I think that's something that Julio might have to adjust to a little bit more. Um, The bat's always going to play, but how is his speed going to age in right field? He's Mm. got a great arm, but how is his speed and enthusiasm going to age on the base paths? Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think... I still think they're going to be like an excellent, you know, two, three in the batting order. But for me, I'm just, I'm a bigger fan of someone that can, you know, drop our jaws anywhere, anytime, at any moment. I have been pleasantly surprised by Jared's defense. And I have to say, like, that is one thing that should probably be considered as. Um, not just that he has kind of the build to be speedier on the ba- on the base paths, but his defense. Because mostly when I saw him coming up as a prospect or as a drafty uh, in showcase events, he was playing right field a lot of times because there was a more defensively plus center fielder to play in front of him. Um, so I sort of had this in my mind that he was a right that he was eventually going to be a right fielder, even if you know. They all start in center field, but he really has shown an ability to stick there. And he's, he dealt with that Arizona sky really well. I thought, um, both in last year's spring training and this year's in the kind of brief opportunities we get to see him. Um, he's really smart at running routes. He just has that instinct that I think you can't always teach for what the most efficient way is to get to the ball. And I think the biggest, most, I expected a lot out of Jared with his bat because that swing is so perfected. I mean, it's just the same swing all the time. He has his approach. He does not stray from his approach. So I expected a lot there. I think the biggest, most pleasant surprise for me in watching him this year was really, it was his ability to adjust to whatever and overcome adversity. But the biggest thing I think next to that was uh, just being so pleasantly surprised at his defense. He's smooth too. I mean, we've watched enough center fielders over the years, you know, look a little frantic underneath the ball um, to where, you know, you're just kind of sitting there like, Oh, I I hope this ends up in his mitt, (laughs) even though he's like not mobile and the ball is just coming straight down. Can of corn, like, in Toronto when Saunders got hit in the forehead. Like, you know, I don't get that with Jared. He just glides to it and he makes it look effortless and, yeah, that's, he that's does just... not do the Mitch Haniger thing where it's oh like you God, are so oh, that's a great one. and yet you like unless you are moving at your like expected exact rate, like things look so out of whack. That's like, a that great one. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or example. or you know, it's tough to say. Ackley, <laughs> everyone, Ackley, <laughs> but even like um, even Malik Smith to a lesser degree, and I think that was no, just I agree with that. nerves. Mm-hmm. He oh, yeah. he just doesn't look comfortable under the ball and jared in arizona just he just glides to it and gets there at a steady pace and yeah i that's something that i really appreciate when when they make it look easy and effortless and 
Um, Jared does that. It is interesting for such a high energy guy, such an intense, I mean, Jared is so intense and it's so interesting to see how that doesn't seem to translate to his style of play. I mean, he still plays with intent, don't get me wrong, but like he really seems to be able to just control that intensity and bring the same approach to, you know, it doesn't matter what's happened the pitch before. I've definitely seen him get frustrated at the plate. He gets frustrated with himself, but he is mostly able to, he knows what his approach should be and he knows that he should be sticking to it. And that's the biggest thing that I see him learning is he's learning how to manage that intensity. And that's not really a problem in the field. He just is, like you said, just cool as a cucumber out there all the time. Although again, still playing with intensity. So it's a really fun balance. Um, when do you guys think it would be reasonable to expect uh, both of these guys in Seattle at the same time. Uh, for me, I, I don't think there's any way. Obviously, there's no way you see it this year. Right. Um, I think the work stoppage obviously creates a ton of doubt for Julio making it uh, to the big do leagues know, in 2021. Do we know how? I know the the like deal that the union has is advancing a year of service time for anyone who has big league uh, time. Does this count as a minor league like year? Like, does this mm. count as a year towards the Rule Five draft? Like, how how does do? So I, I don't I don't mean to put you guys on the spot. I just I was thinking about this earlier and was wondering if this had an impact on that. I'm just just thinking out loud. I haven't heard anything, but mm. if they are shortening the draft to five players, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any way for a competitive balance that you could advanced minor leaguers another year of service i don't there'd be such an enormous gap in between Mm. players that are eligible for the rule five the rule five draft would be inconsequential one year Mm -hmm. i I don't know that might not be the end of the world but um i would think that they do not get that luxury because also they're not a member of the mlbpa so right and there's not really yeah they wouldn't necessarily would very easily be something they could say oh well no (laughs) <laughs> we'll keep them away from us for another year. Um, but they have rights too, so someone's got to be bargaining, or it's got to be in the contract language. That's a great question. Yeah. Anyways, sorry. So not this year. Um, where, where, when do you think would be a reasonable time in in maybe two two years? Do we think like twenty twenty two? Yeah, I think at the latest. Yeah. I I'm I mean I'm still on the blind hope that they get in a few games this year and maybe we get a little bit of double J action in late 2021. But I recognize that is a sweet sweet fantasy baby. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder a lot about like what the uh, what sort of like priority a team might have um this actually i wondered with kirby as well um and and i guess logan gilbert although it's pretty hard to imagine he wouldn't be up in seattle at some point this year anyway but like you are a team the mariners have been reasonably aggressive and have said they're not you know they are going to promote guys when they're ready and when they meet their sort of 
organizational goals. And thus far, they've been reasonably aggressive with promoting guys, whether that you know has service time implications or not. Um, you know whether this all has an impact on if Seattle is going to be sort of pushing guys like Kelnick and Kirby um, and Julio up through the ranks more quickly, less quickly, like how, how this, you know, obviously it's really hard to see how they would be impacted developmentally, but like, do you, do you think that there's an incentive to sort of slow that promotion cycle down? So uh, I think it's interesting because we don't, we don't even know if there's going to be minor league baseball at all this year. And right. I, I don't think there's going to be yeah. because there's not enough fields. Um, so I don't think minor leaguers are even going to play. That being said, slowing it down, one thing that the Mariners have the luxury of is like all of their best assets – are currently not getting service time <laughs> you know so we're not worried about people aging out of their contracts or anything like that all of the all of the players in seattle are coming up so they can be a little bit more patient in that respect mm-hmm. um so yeah i would i would definitely not accelerate the the pedal at all i'd wait until these guys are ready there's no rush um you know take your time wait until they're ready I think that the way that the organization does it is irrespective of anything else. Um, the number one thing that determines where guys play is how they're hitting those developmental goals. So I don't think things like service time, and as Joe pointed out, we're kind of in the luxury where like really the service time thing is not an issue um for anyone other than evan white maybe who wasn't but he didn't play i don't i don't think he gets it no i don't no none of none of the none of the top assets none of the guys who we're talking about on this list um all they'll get is like a little more age, which is maybe not great. Um, yeah, but you again, would see like Sheffield and Dunn and Kyle yeah. Lewis. Yeah, so definitely that part, Fraley. Yeah, um, Crawford and that that shit. part is is a little rough because it I feel like maybe widens the gap between those guys who are already at the major league level and the ones who haven't been there yet. Uh-huh. Um, the suspension of the season will hurt every team. Like, there's no way it's not going to hurt. Mm. maybe it doesn't hurt the i don't know orioles just because how do you kill something that's already dead <laughs> oh, um that's you know not wrong. well i mean no absolutely i can't argue with that no they're when you have not a lot like making everybody wait on a year it, it honestly might be somewhat beneficial for them uh yeah. get another some more downtime to like craft an organizational strategy and do a lot of things that I think the Mariners did pretty quickly. So well, they don't have to face Glaber 60 times this year. <laughs> yeah. That Good is off. maybe I, I imagine that the off season meetings, the zoom meetings, it's just a big chart of Glaber Torres's face. Well, they <laughs> try to figure out, maybe they all throw like virtual darts at it or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so I don't, I, I think that the, the, Development is still going to dictate everything that happens, uh, regardless of what is going on in the broader baseball world. So I'm really glad that they have a, a strongly articulated um, 
development philosophy, clearly articulated goals for each guy. And, you know, it seems like there is kind of a plan. It seems like there's kind of a plan, but they're not really allowed, I think, to give guys like direct instructions. So it feels so weird. Like everybody's just kind of like, well, you're on your own now, and we'll see <laughs> hope, you. Hope you we'll yeah. see you when you see you. Hope you've got a batting cage in the backyard, which has led to like some of the Dominican guys rigging up some pretty ingenious um, yeah. solutions to that. Like Jonathan Classe tied a tire to a tree and has been using that as like a, a batting cage. Um, so it's been exciting to see like a lot of guys just getting their work in, but I'm like, how is this? What are, what are the developmental goals here? Like what, what mm. is the oversight? What is their distance learning looking like right now? Yep. So that is probably my bigger concern other than anything like with service time or anything is like, how do we, after an extended hiatus, how are we maximizing guys' time during this downtime and, and how are we getting them all back so that they can accelerate their progress once there's baseball again? But that's above my pay grade to figure out. <laughs> Speaking of pay grades, uh, obviously Julio, even in you know, even if things were absolutely normal and uh, baseball is being played, uh, he wouldn't be a big leaguer, you know, at the outset of this year. Um, I think we would probably all agree, you know, Kate, you outlined nicely that Kelnick, despite being sort of quite a talented player and, and showing a lot of improvement, he did struggle when he first came up to double a with good curveballs and good off speed. Um, but that there was a lot of, um, development that happened there and you could argue based on his end numbers this guy could be a big leaguer especially considering there's not a ton of overwhelming talent with Mitch Hanniger being hurt uh, so I would put it to you guys would you guys sign Jared Kelnick to a Evan White style deal at the start of whenever baseball comes back here. And, and what do you think a deal like that uh, should look like if, if the Mariners and Kelnick are, are both able to get on board for that? I famously do not understand money or contracts, so I'm going to skip that part of the question. <laughs> but I will say, because my idea is just to like pull an old-timey like steam engine up in – Wisconsin and start shoveling money on <laughs> absolutely I mean that is like and you know, then just the, when Jared yeah. says enough that's good then you drive the steam, the steam engine oh good away. luck with that good luck with the stopping point keep shoveling yeah. until it's empty I don't care like give him what he wants I yeah I I have good there's reason to believe uh, Jared would not sign a contract right now um, just because of the way that he's built and the way that his mind works. Um, yeah. That being said, I, I I don't know if I would do that. I mean, you got to look at the Luis Robert deal from from Chicago, right? So what he got six years, 88 mil, something like that. With Yeah, with a couple option years, I think, two options. So, 
Yeah, so it looks like six years, 50 mil, with two club options at 20 million each. I, so actually, looking at that, I would probably do that. 1.5 this year, and then 3.5, 6, 10, 12 and a half, and 15. Hmm. I think I would do that, but you look at some of the other deals, like uh, like Ronald Acuna, where the last two years of his ARB are like outlandishly high, like 22 and 25. I think that's a risk that isn't necessary right now but unfortunately i think that's what it would take Mm -hmm. to to get someone like jared to sign on so i mean if you get a player friendly and club friendly deal like six years 50 mil for jared uh i would do that especially if the two club options are only 20 million yeah it's an interesting situation especially because you know kelnick was that first round pick he got first round money so like you know, he, it's not as though he's in a position of need um, necessarily uh, in the way that, um, you know, some prospects and families unfortunately don't have sort of that that initial baseline in addition to obviously Kelnick, I think, having a reasonably stable Right, family, he's not signing to situation. take care of his family back in right. the Dominican or anything, which is unfortunately, I think, an aspect of some of these other... You know, they take the guaranteed money because that is something that isn't. It's life, you know, it's life changing. You don't have to worry about money again if you manage it well, which is the point of all of this. But, you know, well, yeah. Right. But it's very different when your family has had to worry about money versus. Exactly. um, I, one thing I wanted to say, sorry, John, did I interrupt you? No, you did not. Um, there's one aspect that I think you can play on with Jared that's a little bit different, and partially it's that, like, his family is financially comfortable, he is financially comfortable, he sees himself and fully believes that he will be a big leaguer and will continue to get paid for a a long time. Um, so he's definitely willing to bet on himself, but also... I think that there is an aspect that's beyond money with Jared, and that is, I think he knows or is acutely aware of um, the general perception of the Mariners, that they are a joke, um, that they are, you know, sort of a cursed franchise, that they have had this string of bad luck, that they've never won. And I think that there's a real appeal with to a guy like him to be the one who lifts this franchise out of the the trash heap like who is the face of i think that that appeals to him on a different level and it's it's not really a monetary thing it's like he if he feels like he could kind of single-handedly help spur the rise of the mariners to prominence i think that that's a really appealing challenge for a guy who loves challenges and and i i know it's something that he and julio have talked about how they want to be the ones who bring a championship to Seattle. And I think everybody says that, but those two specifically mean it. Well, and I think it's something they've very intentionally as an organization tried to cultivate, right? Like that, that sort of bonding mentality that you talked about, you know, with, with the, you know, that Arkansas group, like that's, it, it is very much in service of, the, you know the organization that the Mariners have kept the, a lot of that group together and sort of said you know 
tried to build that up of like, you have to work now because you're going to be the ones you have to, you know, keep working on this and you have to, you know, hold each other accountable because you guys are going to be the ones, which I think is, it, it's a fascinating kind of uh, situation, honestly, of like, it's, it's smart by the organization and it's also like a unifying experience that I know, yeah. you know, would be meaningful, but, but also like, that's a crazy amount of pressure, right? You know, I mean, like, even even more so than just the average, like, any big leaguer, any professional athlete has a ton of pressure on them. Like, that's a really significant level of expectations. Hello, here is this franchise that has been the yeah. laughingstock of baseball for the last three decades, four uh, decades. Yeah. Uh, it's up to you guys to turn it around yeah. for us. All right, we'll it. check back in a year. Have yeah. fun. Don't show Jared that John Bois SB Nation video. Don't show that to him. Oh, he's seen it. You don't. I mean, somehow that has filtered across his. He sees those comments and all the doubting. I mean, he sees it. Julio sees it. They're aware of it. Like every guy in the organization is aware of it, yeah. and every guy wants to be the one who helps to change it. I think we will at some point get a like Mariners read mean tweets video and, <laughs> and it'll be like julio like chuckling logan gilbert and evan white just kind of like very stoically reading it like <laughs> yeah, just total kyle lewis face. like kind of twitching his eye but then like to putting on a smile and jared like reading it deadpan and then just staring at the camera like, he's, <laughs> like just, he wants like, to punch like, it like in, oh, like he is gonna find who, who you wrote? know Mike Mike J nine nine eight four five like he's he will he is going to Jared drop is Liam some, Neeson yeah he's gonna, I will find you yeah and I will kill you he's gonna he's gonna, he's gonna sign an extension and immediately put it towards doxing the person and just like <laughs> sending a strike swatting their home or something well uh, let me ask let me kind of flip the switch and we talked about Jared signing an extension but would you sign Julio to an extension. I mean, I would do it in a year, a hundred percent. I and maybe that's like too late, but you know, I think that the idea on the extension obviously is if you're signing someone to a minor league deal, you're then you're you're starting that uh, not the service clock, but the but the option clock, and you have to put them on the forty man. And just from a pure like logistical standpoint, it's a little bit inconvenient to do that on someone yeah. who's going to start in Modesto. Right. But like if that's you know, if that's going to be something he wants to do, like and that will give him the confidence and the comfort to be like, Great, like this is my path, like this is what I'm doing. Like I think that peace of mind makes a big difference. It's one of the things that's sort of challenging about those extensions is like you are signing guys to what could very easily, if things go well for them, be way under market, um, you know, way undervaluing themselves later on. Like, like you mentioned, Joe, like Ronald Acuna, like he is very likely going to be heavily underpaid relative to how much he's producing when he's being paid $22 million, right? Like, you know, like Mike Trout was underpaid when he signed his extension, even though it was you know, whatever, 140 minutes. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the, like, the economics of MLB that are way out of whack with, you know, reality because that, you know, these guys are so good and the, the relative productivity. But in a very literal sense, like, 
if a guy wants to sign a contract and it's you know the people advising him have their have their best interests at heart that's i think a positive for everyone right like that you know so something that would have these two locked in in seattle at a reasonable rate for everyone involved like that you you that would be such an exciting thing i think for seattle of like these are the guys they're not going anywhere they chose to be here like we're gonna you know we're gonna make it work with them that's something that we haven't had in yeah, a very a core. long time. A yeah, yeah. Core. Right. Yeah. I mean, as long as nobody's being exploited. Exactly. Right. Exactly. If the agent is a good agent, a mm-hmm. smart agent, yeah, and nobody's getting exploited, I have no problem with it. You know, the the player can make the decision that they want to make. Right. Um, I got one more little fun poll for you guys. Hit it. So, let's say Jared uh, plays the next you know six to eight years here. Uh, Matt Kemp currently owns the most ejections <laughs> since 2008. <laughs> so in the last 10 years, Matt Kemp has been ejected 14 times over under Jared, 14 ejections in his first decade in the bigs. I will say over. I, I think that he, well, I would say over. Here's what I'll say. I think robot umpires come in. Oh uh, yeah some point in his career whether that spikes it or or, oh yeah jared does not care (laughs) uh, i i don't know whether that spikes it or whether that sort of undercuts it um like whether it puts the puts the umpire further away you know i think that may he may be even more irate uh you know without without sort of the tangible object that he can take out his fury on um so I'll, i'll take the over I'll take the under just because I think that Jared, I, I don't know if this might exacerbate as he gets older, but I think Jared knows that he's not supposed to be uh, a dirtbag. Like, he has strong dirtbag tendencies. And I mean dirtbag in, like, a loving way, just to be clear. Um, like, when he said that he knew he was going to hit that home run in spring training. And he was like, I mean this in the most humble way possible. And I was like, you I'm can just, say uh, those words. I'm just stating facts. Yeah. You can say yeah. the Jared, words. Jared Kelnick has big the... facts don't care about your feelings. Yeah. Like, like... And the facts are, I'm better than you. <laughs> and uh, I'm right and you're wrong. And I'm right. Like, yeah, you can say I mean this in the most humble way possible. That doesn't actually me- make the words that come out of your mouth. <laughs> no, which are, the, and no then offense, I called my defense. shot like Gary or Gary like Ruth like that doesn't that that doesn't take away from what you just said like Mm -hmm. you can't just wish things into existence by saying them but it did show me that he knows he's not supposed to be a cocky bastard (laughs) but he can't help it like he is who he is so I think that Jared has like a level of societal awareness where he's like oh I shouldn't be a dick and get myself ejected by arguing uh, I think that that better angels of his nature might swoop in and kind of save him from from himself, which yeah. is, a, again, it's a really interesting, like, I don't think I would like Jared Kelnick as a person. I don't know that we'd be friends necessarily, but I think I'd respect him. And I think I'd want to work on group projects with him because <laughs> we'd get A's. 
And if uh-huh. we didn't get an A, he'd go to the teacher and he'd make sure we got an A. And, like, not only would we get an A, but we would crush everyone else. Like, Jared Kelnick at a science fair? Like, forget about it. <laughs> he will not lose. He refuses to lose. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, it's not, like, my personality style, but I respect it. So I think that he would be able to, like, even though he would really want to, I think that he is self-aware enough to know when he has to rein himself in. In the most humble way possible. Yeah. I think I think there's something too also coming up in the uh, guys who come up in the age where everything is on camera. Like there is so, you know, it is impossible to sort of get away with something, you know, in yeah. that sense of like, you're just going to be a little bit more hyper aware of your image. And maybe, you know, maybe that doesn't matter as well, much. Well, and he's invited like, it too. He's got his yeah. YouTube channel. He's, he's put himself he's also, on camera. He's built this, you know, persona to some he's extent. He's also 20. Exactly. Yeah. I you mean, know. yeah, I, I think, I think it's likely that that cools, cools with, uh, cools with age and ABs. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's 20, but, I'm also wholeheartedly taking the over. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both for talking through uh, 50, well, over, uh, well, over 30 prospects and uh, many more all the way through our top 50 list. Um, it has been very fun. It has been, as Kate said, like, a few months and like a, just very surreal since yeah. when we started this, we were very excited to see. I think Kate was literally in, you know, at spring training at one point. Uh, I think we recorded before you went down at some point yep. and, and then man, came, it, yeah. came right back up. <laughs> yep. Um, a very abbreviated trip this year. Yeah, it was rough, but, um, Obviously, we're gonna we're gonna continue uh, coming up with with stuff for you guys here. Um, you know, obviously, uh, last week we we talked to Carlos Colazo of Baseball America. We're gonna have some more interviews there uh, for you guys. We're gonna try and talk to some players, talk to some coaches, talk to experts. You know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and we're going to. Uh, keep keep things going keep keep sort of that spark of baseball energy and enthusiasm alive uh, as we wait for baseball itself to to spark back up uh and and give us some some more day-to-day things to talk about uh any final thoughts from you guys on on the top uh top prospect list as we as we've reached the the summit um Obviously, it was really exciting to do this and not feel like I was fudging things this year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, definitely, I have... um, And I feel like it has made me better in that I can accept criticisms about players better because I don't feel like I need to be so defensive of every single player on the list. Absolutely. So it it has definitely led to um, me being a more balanced analyst where I can see guys weaknesses because there are so many other strengths to see so that's been exciting um if you're listening to this you don't need to be sold on the gospel of prospects uh maybe you just tuned in just because you know it's jared and julio and those are two guys you know um but they're really 
I know a lot of people don't want to get into prospects because so many of them don't pan out and it's so much to learn and whatever, but it really is a such a fun way to learn how to understand a lot of the underpinnings of baseball. If you listen to this and liked it, please get a friend to get involved. Like someone you know who likes baseball but maybe isn't so into prospects. Like really... I guess I'm asking for you to proselytize prospects. Um, <laughs> prospectalize. Prospectalize. <laughs> um, because it is, I think, something that we as Mariners fans have been turned off of for a while because yeah. there was so much promise and then futility and failure and loss and sadness in the earlier part of this decade. And then... Uh, you know, we just didn't really have a farm system as we tried to build a, a competitor later in the decade. And it hasn't been a great time to check in, but now I think it really is. And, um, you know, so I would challenge everyone who has listened. Thank you for listening through all of this to like try to get one of your people, one of your friends who isn't that into prospects into prospects. Um, that I think would be it would just make me so happy. So. You want to make me happy, don't you? We work so hard. If, <laughs> if if one of your friends is one of those guys that loved Nirvana before Nirvana was Nirvana, they'll love prospects. Yeah. So, if you have like a hipster friend who likes yeah. to be on the front on the forefront of everything, mm-hmm. that pick that friend and and recruit them into but our land. But don't be of prospects. that way about it. <laughs> that yeah. sucks also <laughs> let yeah. them be that way but don't yeah, but be that way you. yourself <laughs> yeah, that is I have, it's an important distinction because yeah. that doesn't make other people want to listen to the thing that you're <laughs> no. into no oh, my goodness liking, hear about how you saw so-and-so coming <laughs> liking and knowing prospects does not make you a bigger baseball fan exactly. than anyone else. No. It just means you like different parts of the sport. Yeah. It is, and it, there's just more baseball opportunities which that you get to expose yourself to, which is, I think, what I know it was a big appeal to uh, me about it. I know Kate, we, you know, especially in sort of the, some of the leaner times that, that was big for us. And Joe, I imagine you came by it in, in a similar way of, of wanting to be wanting just more access and more, more things to sort it's of like get you can play road in. to the show, but with like humans. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly that is, like that. It is uncannily like that. <laughs> All right, y'all. Uh, thank you so much for listening, for, for subscribing, for downloading, uh, for, for telling folks. Uh, and we will talk to you guys next week.